the only thing we have control over is ourselves and how we're reacting to everything. So that's the piece that I help people work on because we continue to think that we're going to find the solutions outside, but that worrying is about trying to find a solution externally. And do you know what happens when you worry, worry, worry? When you finally give it up, guess what happens? The answer comes. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with the joy slinger, Aaron Mack. Aaron has been an entrepreneur for most of her adult life and now works with people in a variety of scenarios to help them find joy. Aaron's book, Impenetrable Joy, will be available later this year. Aaron is an incredibly down-to-earth person and incredibly candid, and we really had an awesome conversation that I'm excited to share. As always, thank you to Mrs. Aaron's for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Aaron Mack, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, so, Aaron, you have a website, Aaron-Mac.com, uh, where you are the joy slinger. Uh, you help people <laughs> with coaching. And, and so are you working with both individuals and businesses? Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. And couples. And couples. Nice. Yeah. That's a different, <laughs> that's a different spin. <laughs> well, you know, it's crazy because when you figure out how to like heal and grow from the things that are like troubling you, um, it's a bit like going back home and not having the environment to continue that process. And so when mm -hmm. both parties recognize how to heal and grow together, then the experience is exponential. Right. That makes sense. And it, it, it actually, it, it see so yeah, here, you asked me before I started recording, if I had like a set list of questions or anything, and I tried to explain that. And I did have one question that I was going to ask towards the end potentially, but now you've said this. And so now I have to put it before everything else. <laughs> okay. And it, and it may not be contextually as good as it would have been later, but too bad um, <laughs> for the listener. Um, all of the, a lot of the personal development stuff and, and coaching is, is that it's personal, right? It's about the individual. Um, but, but something I don't really read a lot about in, in the personal development books I'm reading and, and, and that kind of stuff is, is the value of relationships. And I don't, I don't mean just mean romantic relationships necessarily or, or partners. Um, but how important are human connections and how important are relationships for people, even when they're working on improving themselves? I think that's everything. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, our society would like it to be about amassing things and, and money and status and all those things. And honestly, I think when you get down to it, when you're laying on your deathbed, you're not thinking, I wish I had worked more. I wish I had made more money. I wish I had more things. I think you're thinking, I wish I had deeper, meaningful relationships with the people that are important to me. And, um, so our relationships important, they're everything. And not only that, but the intimate relationships, uh, whether it be romantic or not, are really the opportunity for us to heal and grow. And that's what I believe we're here to do is to heal and grow from, you know, the experiences that we had as children, usually, 
And uh, when we can find partners, whether it be romantic or otherwise, to create an environment where we can heal and it's safe and um, there's an understanding of how to do that, then that's the thing. I mean, that's, that's it. You know, it's, it really is kind of all about making memories and, and creating deep, meaningful relationships with people. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I, uh, I thought about it some time ago and, and I kind of came to the conclusion that, that for me, at least, I think that's the most valuable thing that I have in my life is relationships. Um, now I'm not otherwise wealthy and haven't amassed a lot of things. So <laughs> maybe I feel differently if I had, but to your point, I don't actually, I'm, I'm kind of kidding. I don't really think so. Um, you absolutely would not. In my previous business that I had, I worked with multi-billionaires and multi-millionaires. They were my clients. And um, if I'm being honest, they were maybe some of the most miserable people I've ever met. And not like miserable, like nasty people, nice people, but unhappy, certainly. Mm -hmm. And no joy. There was no joy to be had there. Um, yeah. You know, some, I mean, they're still keeping up with the Joneses. They're still trying to amass wealth when they have generational wealth already. So what's the end, you know, like how do you, you know, and a lot of them work so much that they don't even have, they don't even enjoy themselves. And when they have time off, they don't even know how to do that in a way that is meaningful, you know, and, and that's not, it's not just them, but we use that as an example because everybody thinks that's where you want to go to. And the reality is, is those people are miserable as well. And it's because, you know, searching for something externally to make you feel better is never going to make you feel better. It's always going to be the journey inside. And that's the healing and growth that takes place inside. And, you know, being um, having all the things and being able to do whatever you want all day, every day uh, doesn't change that. It just, you know, I mean, it's why the lottery winners have such a hard time. And, you know, it's all the stories that you hear. Yeah. So I, I personally work with a life coach as well. And, and just yesterday, the conversation that we had was was about how there can be freedom within structure, uh, which is kind of a confusing, sounds oxymoronic <laughs> to say it almost, but uh, you know, the, the, when I, I, I started kind of personal development a couple of years ago and, uh, the first book I read was called discipline equals freedom, which is that same kind of sentiment. And then I just recently, uh, read a book called the subtle art of not giving a fuck, <laughs> excuse my language. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And, and in that though, he, you know, he talks about that in his twenties, he was chasing every woman he can't, could and trying to hook up with all these different, different ladies because he thought that if he committed to someone, he would be locked down. Right. But then when he got into his thirties and moved past that and eventually got married, he realized that, that through the commitment, there was actually a lot more freedom. Like he, he felt the opposite. He didn't feel trapped at all by that. Um, and it just the reason it made me think of that is, you know, you're speaking about someone who has limitless resources in the case of a billionaire or something. And, and still in that, even it's, it's that same thing almost where it's not that everyone should be <laughs> impoverished or something either. There's clearly a middle space there. Um, but yeah, just fascinating how, how there's this balance constantly in things where two ideas that seem opposite actually have to kind of be held together in tandem. Yeah, you know, I think freedom, to me, freedom is 
you know, no longer being beholden to other people or circumstances to dictate whether I enjoy myself in this life or not, whether that's Mm -hmm. today, tomorrow, forever, you know, my life or just my day. Um, I don't know about your listeners, but I assume that they had a similar experience as I did, which is that um, I was beholden to my emotions, to my thoughts, to being in reaction to everybody and everything all day long, every day. And uh, my life just felt like a roller coaster ride. It was just like, you know, what's this thing I've got to troubleshoot now? And, you know, this client is upset or this employee or, you know, personally, whatever. And um, it was exhausting and super stressful. And when I started to realize that it didn't need to be that way, that I could, you know, of the one thing that I can control is my experience in this life which is what I help clients do because we can't somehow we got the message that we could control people and circumstances and outcomes. And I'm here to say, even with all the things that I believe about, you know, law of attraction and cause and effect and all those universal laws that I do agree with, we cannot dictate outcomes. And, but the idea that we can has got us in this hamster wheel. Because it's like, oh, our mind is thinking, oh, if I do this, this will be the result. But we don't ever go back and go, wait a minute, my formula didn't work. You know, I did this and this result was not what I wanted. And yeah. and then the roller coaster ride is the experience of not getting what you want, needing people and circumstances to show up a certain way so that you feel good and not having that burden is true freedom, I believe. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense. So obviously I want to talk about um, your coaching and, and those kind of, and those ideas that you're, you're sharing and promoting and, and helping people to learn. But before I dive too deeply into that, I, I kind of want to start just a little bit more with who Aaron Mack is. So where, where are you from originally? Where did you grow up? I grew up in the uh, Seattle area. Okay. And how was your childhood? Did you, did you have Two parents, single parent, how did that go? Uh, My folks got divorced when I was, I think, five. Um, And that was, for me, that was fairly traumatic because uh, my, I ended up living with my mother and my father and I are sort of two peas in a pod. And my mother and my brother were very close, um, but very different personalities. And uh, my mother was... um, you know, very hard worker and, uh, worked a lot. Actually, both parents worked a lot and, um, and their divorcing sort of left this, I stayed with my mom and, and my, my anchor left basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say it was all doom and gloom. There certainly was, um, I I have a great relationship with my father. I always have. I spent every single weekend with him if I wasn't living with him and, Um, but I say this because what I know for sure is that these things that we need to get over and heal and grow from, from our past, they don't have to be so crazy and sane for you to have a bad experience. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I still had two parents. They both ended up getting remarried and there were some other, you know, tumultuous times, but mostly it was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but as that little girl, I made a decision based on that divorce. And that decision was that I wasn't lovable enough or I wasn't good enough for my dad to stay. And that's what happens. And it happens that way because developmentally as children, we are focused on ourselves and everything revolves around us. And so when something like that happens, the two people that love you, supposedly love you the most, decide not to be in one space anymore then as a child, you take that on and you figure out that there's something about you that made that happen. Mm. And, um, and now I believe that's all beautiful, but I can see, you know, I, I have a degree in psychology and my emphasis was child development. Mm. And so I did that because I wanted to understand all that process myself as a human and recognize that it doesn't have to be, I mean, and I hear awful stories about other people's childhoods that are like crazy, you know, and I think, whoa, you know, how are you even functioning as a human just regularly? Um, But it all comes down to what I believe is the truth, which is that, you know, the story of the things that happen as, as children, like that piece is not so important. It's not the people or the actual things that happen that's important. The piece that I believe that's important is what you decided about yourself because of those things. You know, we like to talk about the story. We get into a relationship with other people over that story. But that story is not who you are. The story has really nothing to do with actually who you are. It was the experience that is leading you to this path of healing and growth. That's mm. what I believe. Yeah, it's interesting who you say that. I was talking with a psychologist recently and, and he uh, explained, he defined trauma and he defined, and, and I'm, so I'm also a child of divorce, but similar to yourself, wouldn't probably normally be comfortable using the word trauma to describe it because it wasn't, there wasn't some devastatingly horrible circumstance. You know what I mean? I mean, yes, my parents split. Yes, that was, not great. Yeah. I changed schools, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, again, to your point, compared to some of the stories that you can find out there, I had it pretty good. So it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to falsely represent my story by using language that I feel is too strong. And the psychologist I was talking to said, well, trauma is really defined as, is when the events of the world don't reconcile with your expected outcome of the world, right? And so those things don't match and that there then is traumatic. And so I thought that was a, a very interesting um, definition. And I say interesting, I don't mean that he made it up, but just simply, I had never really heard it explained that way. And when he explained it that way, that did make a lot more sense as to like, oh, well, yes, I didn't suffer some horrible abuse or something, but certainly <laughs> my idea of how the world was going to work shifted pretty dramatically when my parents got divorced. Um, And I think that's kind of what you're speaking to as well, is just this idea of an experience happens that leads you to have to, as an individual, to draw conclusions about yourself. And then those can carry on for a long time, not really ever looked at again. Does that sound right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's you have this experience and you have it at a young age. So you don't you don't recognize that that's the experience you're having. And you can call it trauma or you call it whatever you want. It's a story about the things that happened. And um, they didn't feel good. Some of them felt fine. <laughs> most of, you know, most of the ones that we glom onto are not the good feeling ones. <laughs> right, right. And then we decide things about ourselves and the world based on that those 
incidences, right? And they can be, you know, seemingly small things like, you know, an adult reprimands you and then you decide that you don't have a voice. Like I can't speak up because, or I'm stupid because, you know, whatever. And so these things, you, you collect all these things, these ideas of who you are based on these experiences. And then often they just get left alone. And so from those experiences, what happens is you create a filter or a lens in which to see this world. And so that narrows what's possible. Those experiences tell you what's possible. And then that's all you see. That's all you can see. And, um, and that's, you know, and then we create expectations around those things. So like, I need you, that's that freedom piece I was talking about. I need you to show up this way. Otherwise I'm going to make you wrong and you at fault for making me feel bad. And in my teaching, what I teach people is two, two foundational pieces. One is the dominant things that you think about are creating the reality that you are experiencing. And those are based on that story, right? The past projecting into the future. The second piece of that, though, is the harder one to sort of swallow. It's this idea that you take personal responsibility for what you've created, right? And so not in a blame, shame, or fault type of a way, but just in the way that it's like, oh, if I'm thinking these thoughts and this is what I'm creating and I don't like what this is, rather than me say, you made me feel this way or this outcome made me feel this way because it didn't show up. I can just change my thoughts and in doing so that what was possible, that filter, the, the lens that we created opens up because we yeah. allow new information to come in. And then, I mean, it's those aha moments where you're just like, Oh, I've been doing this this way for so many years. And all of a sudden I read this meme or I read a book or I heard somebody say something and I went, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. But right. those moments can change all of that when we're open enough to hearing those things. Sometimes it takes a crisis, right? We get into crisis mode and we're like willing to listen to anybody to not feel pain anymore. Yeah. And, and so that's how that works. Yeah. Well, that, so that was something else I, that I was going to ask you, which I think you kind of just answered, but I, I just want to, it's a point that I think is really, really important. And that is where does the personal responsibility end? Um, it doesn't end. It's always, you know, and I, and it may sound simple what I'm saying. It's not easy. Certainly when you're in the thick of it, you know, you're with your spouse or your child and things are not working out super easy to go. I, you know, if you would just listen, you know, to your kids, if you just listen, then we could, you know, do X, Y, Z. Like, you're making me angry. It's like, no, actually those emotions are latent inside you. And so those interactions are what are bringing them up to the surface. And so the process, as far as I can see it and what's worked for me in my life really looks like when I'm in emotional reaction, then I go inside instead of pointing fingers outside and looking externally for solutions I go, why am I not feeling good right now? Because I guarantee if I get into an argument with my spouse, if you were standing right there, you wouldn't care either way, right? 
So that tells me it's me. It's not you, right? It's not them. It's me. I'm the one in reaction. So I have to look inside. And that's the navigation that creates healing and growth is when we stop looking externally. And it's not really our fault because from a young age, we're taught to, you know, get validated uh, externally, you know, good job, honey, great goal, good grade, you know, nice whatever artwork or whatever the thing is. And we don't learn how to self-validate and recognize that we can value ourselves within ourselves versus seeking outside. And that's why social media is so traumatic for a lot of people is because they're constantly comparing themselves like, oh my gosh, their life looks so much better. Oh, they're making way more money than me. Oh, they're like, you know, totally dressed nicely or whatever the thing is. You know, and you're just like, it's like you're keeping up with this fictitious thing that you'll never be able to keep up with. And you're certainly not going to feel good there anyway, because it's external. And anytime we seek externally to feel better, uh, it's short lived. It, you, that you cannot win that game. I've been there. I did all those things. I had the money. I had the houses. I had the cars. I did the stuff and I was completely miserable. And so for all of you out there that are chasing these external things to feel better, you'll never get there. I was killing myself. I was physically, I was doing triathlons. I was um, in my business. I was constantly setting and crushing like bigger and bigger goals, you know, expanding my business, doing all these things. And I just turned around and was like, if you'd asked me what happy, happy or joy meant, I'd be like, yeah, no, it's going to be that next, you know, several thousand that I make. It's going to be that next tens of thousands. It's going to be that next echelon when my business gets this big or when I have this car or when I, it's not there. It's just not. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm a, an NBA fan, you know, professional basketball. And um, there's a, a famous player, Kevin Durant, and he changed teams and, and won a championship a few years ago. And after he won the championship, when he was asked about it, he said that he thought that when he won the championship, it would like, he would feel this like relief, like this burden would go away. And the, the truth was, was that he didn't feel any different at all. And so then that was like very baffling because here he had staked, you know, I don't know, I shouldn't say his whole existence. I don't know the guy, but you know, a significant part of his character in this idea of winning an NBA championship. And then when it happened, it didn't it didn't really do anything and i think that speaks to what you're talking about and that was that was another thing i was i was going to ask you about is just is there ever a, a destination or or is it more that life is like a never-ending cycle of change and and so it's always a journey and, and we're just i mean you can observe stops along the way if you want but ultimately is there ever a destination that we're shooting for or is it just always a journey um, I, I think it's always a journey. I mean, I, I think the end is when we've completely arrived. It looks like there's no more healing. There's no more, there's no more healing or growth to happen. When we've got to the point where we're just no longer, you know, agitated by anything, where you're just like zen all the time. <laughs> and I'll say, you know, well, first, one of the things that I did want to say is, um, there is a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based 
on external things. That's you get the new card, fantastic, it's lovely. Eventually it's just a car. I don't care if it's a Lamborghini. At some point you're just, it's just that car that gets you from A to B. And the, and it's fleeting. And that's, that's how you recognize, oh, this is about happiness, which there's nothing wrong with those things, except if you think that that's long lasting and then, then you'll be disappointed because it's, it isn't. And joy is, it has all those nuances with the like, yay, hooray, I got a new car, the exuberance, the excitement, the jumping up and down, but it encapsulates other pieces that I have found so much more meaningful things like peace of mind, calm, stillness. I mean, stillness. Like I can even, like sometimes I want to explain stillness, like the experience of it. Like, you know, everybody's always saying be in the present moment. That's stillness. That's where nothing and nobody is like, nothing is happening. And you're just in this moment here. And it's such a beautiful experience so much better than jumping up and down so much better than the new car it's just it's like wow it's quiet and everything is right in the world in those moments and i think that's what we're aiming for I mean, for me that's what i'm aiming for to be able to have more and more of those moments and connect them so that that is ultimately the experience that you're having exclusively A couple of years ago, I read uh, a book called The Miracle Morning, which in a nutshell prescribes a, a daily routine of, of reading and journaling and meditating, exercising, visualing, visualizing and, and affirmations. Um, you had a recent blog post where you talked about meditation, reading and visualizing. And I just wondered if you could maybe elaborate on on how those are, are powerful for you and why those are important practices for you. Yeah, um, I'll tell you that uh, meditation took me a very long time to, to navigate because my mind was so busy. For my purposes, I believe meditation is the quieting of the mind. That's that peace of mind where you can be silent and be okay. <laughs> um, and that process took me some time because I, you know, again, just externally trying to come up with all the solutions, couldn't stop thinking, overthinking about every little, everything, every decision I needed to make or whatever. Um, that experience of being able to do that is huge. I think that having a practice that you are committed to first thing every single morning just starts the day off absolutely in the right spot. For me, my practice is a meditation visualization. Uh, I do a walking meditation, which happens to be with my dog, where I'm listening to something that speaks to me on a deep level. And then at some point throughout the day, I, I like to do it in the morning, but I don't always have time. Uh, I like to read something that speaks to me on a very deep level. 
And what I mean by that is not, um, although I love, you know, comedy and things like that, I think those are great tools as well. When we speak, when we read something that speaks to us on a very deep level, then we are connected and aligned with ourselves. And because of the work that I do, I'm holding space for people to, to be able to express themselves. And as you said before, like be very personal about, you know, things that are um, not always wonderful. And, it, and so I need to create a safe space that is calm, welcoming, supportive. And so for me, because there's so much resistance outside of, you know, their society and, um, you know, your family and all the things that could happen within a day, uh, I need to create that space within me so that I can hold space for other people to heal and grow. And so that practice speaks to me that that works for me. Yeah, I, I will just admit to you candidly here that like when we when we first started recording, I was like, oh, man, I wonder if I'm being like a little bit too energetic or something. Uh, because you're just very, very calm. But now that we've been talking for, you know, half an hour or so here and, and now I don't feel that way at all. You just have this very calming quality to yourself in the way that you carry yourself and the way that you talk. Um, so you're doing a very good job of creating that space (laughs) and and I'm not even a client, so I'm sure it only improves. Um, so something that, that you, you, you touched on that I'd like you to, to maybe talk a little bit more about is, is the journey of learning to meditate. So I, for a long time, thought that to meditate was to go from me here to like, I snap my fingers and I'm like this, and this is a stereotype, like some Buddhist monk or something, right? That's just <laughs> can meditate and say "Om" for eight hours straight, which I, like yourself, was not able to do. Um, and it, it took me a while as well. But once I actually started engaging in meditation and in, in practicing it, I found that even before I was able to really get to a place where I could have that, that stillness that you're talking about, that I still found value in it, like it, just in practicing it. Can you talk about what it was like for yourself learning to meditate? Uh, I would say when I first started to meditate, it was ridiculous. It was like put on the music and my mind would just go crazy. You know, all the things, the list of to do's, the, all the decisions I need to make and I just go, man, like, that's so noisy. Like, what's going on there? I don't understand that. And that's when I started to realize that we have this dialogue constantly going on in our brain. And maybe some people that are listening to this haven't recognized that yet. You have it too. (laughs) We all do. Um, I will say that through meditation, my mind is very quiet now. And so uh, it's peaceful, even when you know, there's nothing going on or when it's chaotic, I just am able to sit back and go, wow, but it was not like that initially. And so what worked for me in terms of getting quiet was, uh, actually I used to do the, uh, Deepak Chopra and Oprah Winfrey did that 21 day free meditation thing. And I would sign up each time. And what I recognized about it was he would introduce a mantra. So they'd have, you know, a topic and they would talk about that. And then it would just be quiet for 15 or 20 minutes. And it was the mantra. And one day he said, you know, well, actually he said it a lot. He said, you know, say the mantra over and over and over again. At some point you'll drop it and then I'll just be quiet. And I was like, oh, but what I tell people now 
that I think worked better for me was having a mantra. It doesn't have to be anything crazy or Aum or Sanskrit or anything like that. It can just be mm-hmm. like the word joy or peace or, you know, whatever resonates with you. And then when you close your eyes and you listen to the music, just keep saying the mantra over and over again. And then when you recognize that you've gone off and thought again, then go back to it. You've got to retrain your brain. Your brain wants to go off and do all the things. We've got to retrain it. So it may not look like a lot of progress is happening initially, but at some point you'll be able to drop the mantra. You won't need to use it anymore. And, or you'll start with a mantra and then it'll just drop on its own and you'll just recognize, ah, there was gap between thought. Interesting. Mm. So cool. That's, that's stillness. That's quiet. That feels good. You know, yeah. and then you just keep practicing with that. I mean, everything, all these things that I teach and, and all these ideas that we're talking about are practices of new ways of being. And there's a ton of resistance to change as you know, I'm sure. Yeah. It's, you know, First, you got to you got to navigate your subconscious mind because your subconscious mind would just like everything to be status quo and does not want any if it's not to do with survival, it's not interested. (laughs) And then so you got that resistance within yourself. And then you've got society telling you, no, it's about all these external things. It's about amassing money and status and cars and whatever. And then you've got your family that's like, oh, yeah, I want you to change. Oh my gosh, he's changing. No, <laughs> I don't want that. I know the other one. I don't want this new one. I'm not sure what this one's about. Right. So right. then they go into reaction over you changing and there's more resistance there. So it's all these things we're talking about sound simple and they can be challenging. Certainly. So a question I had from, from kind of looking through your website and, and listening to some of your other interviews, but how, how do you, I, how do you help people identify, identify passion? Oh, good question. Um, so passion looks like that thing that you do where you completely lose yourself and time where you're just mm. like, Oh, wait, four hours went by and I was, you know, drawing or I was, you know, I mean, we like to think it's always these things like, you know, from elementary school or from, you know, high school or whatever. Like I was really good at sports. I was really good at art. I was really, you know, and some of those things are true. And yes, those are, you know, passions and there's not just one, you know, Um, but it's the thing that fills you up, like where you get lost in it and you're just like, wow, that felt so good. You know, sometimes for some people it's giving back, you know, it's, uh, you know, helping volunteer with a, um, a nonprofit or with, you know, mentoring or, you know, it doesn't always, I mean, I think I truly believe that every person has a unique offering for this world based on their experience, their personality and I think, you know, for me, like, I'm excited. I can't wait to see what everybody's is, you know, like, like go after it, go after these things. Even if it's, you know, if you like to sing, then take lessons and just see where that leads. You know, does that mean you're going to be a professional singer? I don't know. But if you enjoy it, then I'm all for doing everything that feels good as often as you possibly can without, you know, I mean, we have some responsibilities, but you know, certainly spending the majority of your time with people that you like, 
talking about things that are important, doing things that matter, you know, and, and that can be so many different things, you know, fishing or going on a hike or, you know, I would just recommend for everybody that being out in nature is, I don't know very many people who go out in nature and come back and go, man, that was a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, I, I live by so a, yeah, I live by a nature trail and I, I similar to you take my dog on a walk each morning and kind of do a walking meditation as well. And uh, yeah, I just, it's not like deep in the woods or anything. There's still neighborhoods kind of around, but there's trees lining the, the little walkway and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, it's, it, I find it very refreshing to, to go there. Even if it's not, you know, you don't have to go on a 10 day retreat or something to, no, <laughs> to experience a little bit. Not. <laughs> you know, what's crazy too, is I recognize as I continue to evolve with my practices and, you know, everything that I teach, I'm, I'm doing in my life too. Like I'm not, I'm not, I haven't arrived anywhere really other than I do have a sense of freedom because my mind is so much quieter now um, and I have reconciled some of my past experiences uh, yet you know just over the last couple of weeks actually something came up where I was like man I thought I was done with that thing I guess not here it is again mm. cool you know didn't feel very good but knowing a process to navigate that is so much I'm not going to say it didn't feel better because I know the process, but I do recognize that, you know, even now after all this work, I still wanted somebody else to be responsible for my experience. And I was like, no, can't go there. No, still you, you know? And so it's just, we just keep working on it and people, you know, everybody likes to use the word trigger, but you know, things get poked at, you know, in certain yeah. situations, especially when it's around people that you really love and care about. I mean, they're intentionally there. Like that's your soulmates, all the people in your life that are uh, helping you go into reaction. <laughs> those are your soulmates so that you can ultimately get to the number one soulmate, which is yourself. Like this is the relationship that you're working on in this lifetime is the one with yourself. Yeah. You know, I think that's really powerful. Um, I, I'll, I'll ask an, I'll ask another question. Um, do you think that worrying is ever useful? No. <laughs> okay. Um, well, how, oh, <laughs> did you want me to elaborate? <laughs> you can. I, I mean, I also ask kind of a closed question, so that's fair. Um, but but yeah. yeah. It is possible to not be in reaction. So I call all anything that doesn't feel good is a low level emotional experience. That would be literally, you know, anger, stress, anxiety, uh, overwhelm, worry, depression, all of those things. And I'm not saying there's not some chemical stuff going on. There is. Those also, I believe, can be fixed through different thinking. And sometimes we need some professional help in terms of you know, medication, at least temporarily so that we can do the healing work and move on. Um, but I don't think those are lifelong things. Like I don't, there's no deficiency in Prozac in your body. Right. So, you know, there is something going on that needs attention, whatever that is and healing. Yeah. I mean, but, I think cognitive behavioral therapy would agree with you. Right. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so worry, you know, worry is again, it goes back to that whole thing. It's like needing something 
person, situation, outcome to be a certain way. So what are we, we're, uh, as my boyfriend likes to say, future tripping, right? We're future tripping and deciding all the different scenarios when we have zero control over that, like nothing. Mm. We have zero. The only thing we have control over is ourselves and how we're reacting to everything. So that's yeah. the piece that I help people work on because we continue to think that we're going to find the solutions outside, but that worrying is about trying to find a solution externally. And do you know what happens when you worry, worry, worry? When you finally give it up, guess what happens? The answer comes. <laughs> so why, yeah. why spend all that time worrying and you know doing all the scenarios of what's going to happen when you don't know what's going to happen. And so then you just go, okay, I have a tendency to worry or I have a tendency to have anxiety. I have a tendency to be stressed out. That's not true. Whatever the language is that's going on in my head, I've decided that's not true. I'm going to let it go. And what I usually say to myself, this is my new thing is like, uh, do you like the Beatles? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just say, let it be. Sometimes I have to sing the song, but let it be. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no worrying that's going to change the outcome, that's going to uh, create the solution. It doesn't work like that. It's when we let it go and let it be and let life unfold as it's supposed to be and stop pretending like we know how all of these things are supposed to show up. Then it just happens. And so I call that the isness of being, like just existing, like being with this happened. It doesn't feel good. Wonderful. I'm going to go inside and figure out what's going on for me. In the meantime, I can't worry about it because even if I came up with all the scenarios, 99% of the time, the thing I think is going to happen never does. And then we yeah. don't go back and go, well, that was faulty thinking. We never do that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a, there's a, a, a definitely a high degree, and I, I think this is not acknowledged often, but there's a high degree of ego to some extent that goes into this constant fretting. Or, like, I had a friend a long time ago I worked at a call center with, and he was convinced that this senior level manager had it out for him, and he was always paranoid about it. And I was like, dude, this might sound meaner than I mean for it to, but like. <laughs> that guy's not, he doesn't care. You know what I mean? Like you're <laughs> yeah. you, like, you're not that important. You know what I mean? And, and not that you're not valuable as a person, but in this hierarchy, I promise you, he's not in his office trying to figure out how to, how to get at you. Like, <laughs> right. But there's an, there's an ego to it. And I think that, and again, I'm not trying to, to shame people or something and I'm not above it myself. I worry about stuff <laughs> way too often. Um, but there is an ego to it. And I think that recognizing that I know for me, whenever I recognize that it helps me to kind of step back from it and be like, yeah, to your point, I don't actually know what's going to happen. <laughs> and I don't have an excellent track record of prediction. So <laughs> this confidence I have in my ability to worry about things doesn't actually make sense or serve me, you know, in the long run um, to, to feeling better. And honestly, like if we did know, like how boring would this life be if like we knew, you know, Right. I keep wondering, I see this um, psychic and not to, not to say that I don't believe in psychics. I do. I've met 
several intuits that have said things to me that I clearly, I said nothing, they knew things. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. Um, mm -hmm. And I think like, how do they have this storefront in this super expensive neighborhood? How can they even afford that? It's because we all want to know the answers, but do we? Right. We all want to know the future, but do we? Like, I don't want to know. Like when I start to get like all like bunched up over something that's like supposed to happen or I need to figure something out, I just go like, I'm just going to see how this turns out. And it could be super cool. Like how many times has something super cool turned out? Like totally not what I thought was going to happen. I mean, a bunch of times. And so it's like, well, so something really cool that I couldn't even possibly have imagined is, is around the corner. How exciting is that, you know? Yeah, it's it's one of those things, you know, if a person has no routine, then often, and, and again, what I'm familiar with, it will be suggested like you should have some sort of routine, like we were talking about the morning routine, right? Like start your day with something that energizes you, that you feel good about. So there's like real power and, and, and anchor, I think you call it, in, in this routine to some extent. But then on the flip side of that, and this goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, when someone feels like their life is just a routine and they know what is going to happen tomorrow when they wake up, they're going to go to work and they're going to get off and they're going to have to go pick the kids up and they're going to come home and have dinner and then they're going to watch a show and then go to bed and, and they can just see this cycle repeating forever to your point that you're just making that then causes <laughs> this level of misery. Right. And so yet again, and to your point, so if someone can actually feel like they can predict their life, I, I think, yeah, they do think it's <laughs> horribly boring. Um, so yet again, it's that dichotomy where it's like a routine is essential at the same time. You don't want your life to just be a routine because then it loses meaning or excitement or thrill or, you know, I don't know what word to use, but. Yeah. I mean, I think if your life is, you know, going to a job just to make money, um, that's not a good exchange of time. I mean, mm -hmm. we're supposed to spend, which I am absolutely against eight hours a day, right? I mean, if you got 24 hours and eight of it's supposed to be spent doing working, eight is sleeping, you have eight hours to cram the rest of your life in. Like, I don't, I don't think that's a good, unless you're going to someplace and doing something that has meaning and purpose for you and others, not just you, but others as well. Wonderful. That's a good exchange. You know, I always think like when somebody asks me to do something, I'm like, I think to myself, is that more important than me spending time with my child? Is that more important than me spending time with my significant other? And then I decide whether it is, you know, is it going to be impactful for other people? Am I going to be in service to other people? Is it going to have purpose and meaning for me? If it's not, then it's not a good use of my time. And right. or is it bringing me joy? I mean, I am the joy slinger. So like, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. on the forefront of my mind at all times. Like, is this bringing me joy? And I've literally cut out, you know, all kinds of busy work in my business because I'm just not willing to do those things anymore. And I just feel like if I hold this space, and this is probably going to sound crazy to some people, but what I've recognized over the last two years is when I get super aligned with my message, my service to others, my purpose and meaning and my joy, and just focus on those, then my business does great. 
but it's we're so consumed with trying to control things. You know, all I'm saying is step, put your foot a little bit over the edge, get a little bit uncomfortable and recognize that there's freedom in that. There's no freedom in taking the safe route, unfortunately. Mm. But there is freedom in this other, it's not, the, it's not unsafe is the thing. So we think it's unsafe, but it's not unsafe. It's just deciding, getting intentional. Like, you know, I hear I was, you know, I had been consulting businesses for 16 years, you know, business owner, very linear people that own businesses and are all about the bottom line. Leaders, you know. And I go completely this other direction. And at first I was like trying to straddle both of them. And then I realized that is not my passion anymore. Can I help you build your business? Absolutely. Do I want to anymore? Not so much. (laughs) (laughs) What I really want for you is to heal and grow. And then your business, guess what? Takes off. The things that you want to do, they take off too. And you have purpose and meaning. Like that's important. Making more money, eh, I mean, if you're in poverty and, and you need to uh, feed other people and you're responsible for that, then yes, that's important. Uh, however, in the meantime, you know, everybody's also busy, which I think is like just the, the biggest distraction these days is like, oh, I'm so busy, I couldn't possibly, you know, whatever. And I'm like, my clients come to me and they're like, oh, I'm so busy. You know, I was like, why? And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Why are you that busy? I mean, like I had a, <laughs> I had a client show me their um, schedule. He's like, I'm not quite sure if you're going to like be proud of me or like have some other reaction that's not favorable. And I was like, well, show it to me. So he showed it to me. He literally had like every moment scheduled out. It was all pretty, different colors and all. And then I was mm-hmm. like, wow. I said, um, do all of those things bring you joy? And then he was like, well, most of them do. And I was like, oh, doing paperwork and your uh, billing and things, that brings you joy? Well, not so much. I was like, oh, this other thing, like having this, uh, you know, uh, hire, trying to hire people, that bring you joy? Well, no, I'm like, um, you have, you know, 50 people working for you. Somebody else can do those things, you know? <laughs> Literally, like you can afford to pay somebody else to do those things. Why are you still doing them? And why is your schedule so busy? Like we need time for stillness. We need time to be in the present moment. And when you're in the present moment, that's not an action taking thing. That's a sitting Mm -hmm. still for a minute. You got to recharge all day long. There's just so much beauty in this world to experience. And if you don't ever slow down enough to see it, that's what I call a waste, you know? Yeah. How often do you, uh, do you consider your own mortality? Interesting. Um, nobody's ever asked me that question before. I think I probably think about it daily. Um, certainly COVID was helpful in that for a lot of people. (laughs) Um, for me, uh, what I think is, I think that if I was to go right now, it would be fine. I used to worry like what's going to happen to my kid and all these things. I don't worry about those things anymore because I truly believe 
that everything is in divine order at all times. And there is an order to this life. And I can't possibly know what it is. Yeah, you know, I'm constantly telling my clients, like, how do you know what's the best route? How do you know what's the outcome going to be? How do you know, you know? And they go, like, yeah, I guess I don't know. It's like, yeah, I don't know either. And that's exciting and fun to me. And I've had a beautiful, crazy, jam-packed life so far. And am I ready to leave in terms of like, do I want to go? No, I love it here. I think it's beautiful and amazing all day long, every day. But if it was my time, I wouldn't question it because how could I possibly know what's the right time? How could I possibly know when it fits into the grand scheme of things? I don't know that. So I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I know that's kind of a heavy question. Um, but at the same time, I think that it's something that at least in, in the, you know, American culture that that's not really talked about a lot. It, it, it's like yeah. you said, COVID definitely brought it to the forefront. Um, but, but even then for a lot of people, it didn't still. Right. And I'm not, I'm not trying to go down a road about divisiveness and COVID or something, but my point just being like, even in the face of something like that, there are still, a lot of individuals that don't that don't consider that it seems um well the it, reason that covid was such a big deal was because there was the death piece attached to it right like people right. died and that's i don't yeah. believe it's awful i mean i feel bad for people who are left behind that are suffering i have yeah. all the compassion in the world for that but i i as i said i think everything is in divine order so um that that is the great unknown and that's why it's so scary for people. It's the great unknown. Do I know what happens? No, I have some ideas of what I think happened and it's okay. I mean, I don't want to suffer. I certainly don't want to be in pain. And if that's part of it, then it is what it is. I, I again, can't control that. Yeah. I, so I went to a, when I was in junior high or middle school, I went to a Lutheran middle school and my parents were otherwise not religious. I went there because it was a small classroom sizes and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and I definitely became indoctrinated and became a Christian at that period in time. And then after middle school, went back to public school and, and kind of shifted back away from, from the religion. And then in my twenties, I was like, I mean, if you would have asked me, I would have told you I was an atheist and I was super <laughs> anti everything. And, you know, and now in my thirties, like I, I find myself, I, I still wouldn't consider myself a religious person by any extent, but I, I, I land where you just said, which is like, I have no idea. So while I don't necessarily know that the heaven and hell thing is there, I also can't be so arrogant as to say that I know that there's absolutely nothing because I don't know. And I've never met anyone that can tell me <laughs> from their own experience. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's interesting how that, that shakes out. Um, do you think that there's, is there anything more powerful than belief like desire yeah, good... or... well i think that you know hope comes from like faith like faith that this world oh. is is a good place to be you know and so in terms of that i do believe that it's super powerful i you know I haven't myself had um, any experience with suicide or suicidal thoughts or anything like that. And I do have clients that do have that and have people in my life personally that have gone through that. And 
um, I think that those are those experiences are related, you know, that to the lack of hope. And when you don't have um, some understanding that this is actually like, I believe the universe, this whole thing and whatever the powers that be are, I don't know what those are exactly either. Um, I do believe they are supporting us in this process of understanding ourselves on a deep level. And, um, and I've sort of always thought that even as a kid, even though I was raised Catholic and, um, if you'd asked me what I thought about some of the things, they were very contradictory, you know? Mm Uh, and, um, and confusing for a child, honestly. (laughs) And so, um, but it did teach me something. And my grandmother played a real part in that too. She was a devout Catholic and she, I had never met anybody who was more devout than her. And Mm -hmm. I just, I was just in awe of just the faith that she had that that was the right thing for her. Mm -hmm. She wasn't arrogant and thinking that it was right for everybody, but it was Mm -hmm. right for her. And she was all in, you know, a hundred percent in. And I, I always would think to myself like, man, if I could just be all in on just anything, wouldn't that be great? And I feel like I'm all in on this, that we're here to heal and grow that the universe has our back in terms of supporting us in that. And ultimately as humans, we're all connected. We all are very much alike. We're so much more alike than we are different. We tend to get divisive and try to figure out like why I'm better or different than you. And the reality is when it comes down to it again, deathbed, I I don't think there's a a soul that is on their deathbed, not thinking to themselves, I wish I had more deep, meaningful relationships with the humans in my life that matter the most period. Yeah. And I think that's, that's this whole universe, like everybody, every country, every human innately feels that way. I could be wrong. And if there is somebody out there that doesn't feel that way, let me know. I'm happy to. Here. <laughs> yeah, no, I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I the 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 divisiveness in um, in at least the United States certainly that we see now the polarization is is kind of appalling. And what's crazy is that when I meet people who have suppose I'm using air quotes that only you can I I can see right now, but that have these supposedly like completely opposite worldviews, if I actually sit and talk with them exactly what you just said is true. Like we're a lot more similar than we are different. Now there's some beauty in the nuance, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. like the little subtle differences that we have are, are really cool, but they're also not the majority of what defines us, right? Like everyone wants to feel loved and safe. Everyone cares about their family. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot of common values that we all have that, that, that unite us. And I almost feel like it's become cliche for people to say that, that statement that like there there's so much more about us that's similar than different, but it's true. And, uh, and that's why I love frankly hosting this show because I like talking to people from a wide variety of backgrounds and showing that no matter where you come from or what you do or whatever, like we're all people. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that, I think that matters. And I, I don't think I'm ending the polarization by having the show or something. I don't mean that, but just, uh, yeah, it's, I would beg to differ, certainly. I mean, I think 
part of the issue, I think, for most humans is that we just don't get enough feedback about how wonderful we are. You know, yeah. we get a lot of feedback about, you know, how we didn't make the mark and all the other things. And that's OK, too. Uh, but we don't get we're just not communicating in a way that's meaningful just to the average, you know, to the store clerk or whoever, you know, it's like you have no idea that that how are you doing or looking somebody in the eye and, and you know, acknowledging that they exist how important that is for them. And we don't get that feedback. And because we don't get that feedback, then we get all hard on ourselves and think that, you know, we're not reaching our potential or whatever the thing is. And the reality is, is every one of us matters. And one of the things that I recognize that I always talk to my clients about is, and I'll often tell them over and over again, you need do nothing to have value. You don't have to have degrees or certifications or even have goals. The mere fact that you exist is enough. And I know that flies against, you know, everything society would tell you is the case, but we came from something, whatever made all of this grandiose adventure that we're on. Why would that whatever not make us part of the magic and power of what created us. Like, why wouldn't we be, you know, like Carl Sagan says, you know, we're star stuff. We are every single one of us. We all have value just for existing. So I'm not saying, well, I might be saying, you know, I'm not a huge fan of goals anymore. If I'm being honest, I mean, Mm. there are things that I'd like in my life, but, do I need to have them in order to be in joy? Absolutely not. And secondly, do I need to prove anything to myself or anybody else? Absolutely not. Hmm. Not anymore. I don't need to. And I used, I was all about, if you'd asked me years ago, I'd be like, oh, I'm totally goal oriented, you know, and that's wonderful. Yeah. I'm not saying don't be, if that floats your boat, I'm just saying, again, that's an external thing, trying to make the internal part make feel good. And, and there's a disconnect there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what you're, yeah, you, to have a goal in and of itself is not a problem or, or dangerous, but it, if it's, if it's a goal that is bringing you joy and the pursuit of that is bringing you joy, then awesome. But if simply the accumulation of goals is supposed to make everything else work <laughs> all, <laughs> right. all correctly, that doesn't really add up. Um, well, Aaron, it is uh, truly humbling to have you come on the show and, and share your expertise and your thoughts. Um, I, I really enjoyed talking with you this evening. Again, your website is Aaron-Mac.com. Is there anywhere else, though, um, that you'd like listeners to, to, to reach out or connect with you? Uh, I'll say that I post on Instagram fairly regularly. Like once a week, I'll put a video with you know something I'm thinking about that I think will be helpful for other people to possibly think about or enact in their life or a strategy or... Um, and then I post in stories daily, uh, you know, things that I think are meaningful. Um, and my handle is Aaron, E-R-I-N-M-A-C-L-L-C. Uh, and I do, um, I do have on my website a, um, it's a discovery call or I call it step one to joy call. Um, it's not a sales call at all. If you're interested in having a conversation with me, you have a question about something that we talked about or, you're trying to find your path of joy. Uh, 
I, that is meant for me to be in service. And so if you want to sign up to do that, please do. I would love to be of service in any way that I possibly can. Awesome. Well, I will make sure and have links in the show notes uh, to your website and to the Instagram as well. And, and people can just click directly on it there. Uh, again, Aaron Mack, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Oh my gosh. Thanks so much for having me and for having these platforms to talk about these important things.
Well, that's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Aaron Mack for being a guest and sharing your insights. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening. I also invite you to check out my other shows, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we explore the idea of why gaming matters, or my other show, The Crowfall Podcast, which shares stories and perspectives from the MMO Crowfall. Both of these are available on any podcast app. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.